0: Today on Lifelong Learning, we're focusing on what many see as the looming shortage of primary care physicians. The American Academy of Family Physicians has reported that we need as many as 52,000 more primary care physicians by the year 2025. So how likely are we to reach that number, and what are the issues standing in the way? What are some solutions to ensure we have the right coverage when we need it most? I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and with me today is Ray Saputelli, Executive Vice President of New Jersey Academy of Family Physicians. Welcome, Ray. We are glad you could join us.
1: I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me, Alicia. So
0: let's start with an obvious question, that being what's caused the shortage. Some people might point to the Affordable Care Act and the projected 34 million people added to the ranks of Americans now with health insurance coverage. But in reality, that's not the only factor contributing to the shortage, is it? Not only is it
1: not the only factor. You know, some could say it's not a factor at all. Those people who gained coverage through the Affordable Care Act, which as much as anything was insurance reform, is insurance reform at its outset. Those people still needed care. There were still people who needed care, albeit without coverage. So the primary care shortage is so multifactorial, but, but certainly the ACA You know, I never saw, and I don't think anybody who who looks at the ACA sees it as necessarily a contributory to the overall shortage. Certainly, you'll have some situations where people come into the system with insurance and tax the existing system, but the shortage was there long before ACA.
0: Some of that shortage factors are aging population, growth in population. You see that in the... uh concerns of your constituents in the academy.
1: Yeah, and you know so much of what that leads us to is such a need for primary care, chronic disease, multiple diseases in patients. So as we age, as we are blessed by a system who manages to keep us around longer. <laughs> Indeed. Um, you know, uh, we're around longer but perhaps we fight more chronic conditions that, you know, frankly, continue to tax the primary care system because the primary care physician is, uh, and the family physician, is really on the front line of the treatment of, of those chronic diseases.
0: Let's talk about some issues from the medical student's perspective. What is it about primary care as a specialty that might be issues for them.
1: You know, it's funny because when you talk to a medical student, and I won't say all of them, but so many medical students that I talk to clearly believe in primary care, are drawn to medicine because they want to care for patients and care for the whole patient. And then our system chases so many of them away. And it chases them away on a bunch of different levels. They see what they interpret to be a a challenging lifestyle. They see difficulty with the financial burden of being a primary care physician in this current environment, in our fee-for-service environment where they come out of medical school with often more than $200,000 in debt. You know, and our fee-for-service system doesn't really allow them to meet that burden with the lifestyle that they want. And then on top of that, they come out of the academic medical center where they're told, you know, either and I love this, you're either too smart to be a family doc or you're not smart enough. You'll, you'll never master. Why would you want to master all of that information? Or, you know, you're too smart to do that. Either way, that toxic environment chases them away. And frankly, we don't hold the medical institution accountable in any way to produce the kinds of physicians that our society really needs. And and I think that's something we're going to have to look at as a society.
0: Do you think graduate medical education, GME, is going to change based on this issue? Well,
1: (laughs) that's kind of above my pay grade, but I'd love to think that as legislators look at how we spend money on graduate medical education, it's pretty clear that it's misaligned. It's pretty clear that... Again, we don't hold the system, the academic medical centers, the, the medical schools accountable uh, in any way to produce kinds of physicians that we're going to need going forward. And I think the American Academy of Family Physicians, uh, just a couple of days ago now, released some information that they uh, produced in conjunction with the Institute of Medicine that calls for a kind of radical change to the way we fund GME. And, uh, you know, I would suggest that folks who are interested in that topic take a look at that proposal and think about, you know, what it means because, you know, on its surface it can be a little bit scary whenever you talk about changing anything. There's lots of horses in that race There, you know, stakes in the game. Uh, And people will uh, will be challenged to really think through why that kind of change is necessary. But I think at the end of the day, it is. I think it's necessary.
0: You've mentioned legislation a bit. Doesn't ACA afford for some growth in the primary care workforce funding for education? funding for community health centers. Is that something you're aware of?
1: Sure, it, it does. And in fact, through programs like the Comprehensive Primary Care Initiative, which in New Jersey we happen to be very involved in as one of the regions for the CPCI program. and In fact, our whole state is a region in New Jersey. Academy of Family Physicians very active in uh, helping practices who are part of the CPCI initiative. That initiative makes an effort to work towards the triple aim by really changing the payment model right? And moving us away from this traditional fee-for-service model. So it's there. These system changes are a part of the ACA, but everything is still very much in its infancy. And, and I think we're still in a position where we know what good looks like, and we're trying to figure out how to get there as, as a society, right? We know where we want to be, and I just think we're trying a lot of different things to get there. And certainly the ACA affords some of that, uh, but I don't think anything is, um, is as clear as you'd like it to be yet.
0: You're listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton. And with me today is Ray Saputelli. He's the Executive Vice President of New Jersey Chapter of the American Academy of Family Physicians. And we're talking about the potential shortage, the projected shortage, a significant one, of primary care clinicians down the road. So there are some solutions that we can talk about, and I would like to. But, you know, it's an interesting point here is that we see an increase in family medicine as an area of interest for medical students. So something's happening, something is pushing them toward that, but talk to us about the solutions you see to help fill the gap.
1: Medical students, by definition, are, s- are smart people, right? They understand, I think, the need. And as medical students, I think they're often able to answer that very altruistic part of their personality to say, you know, there's a need. And primary. You know, at the end of the day, family medicine, primary care, offers a medical student so many opportunities to explore and to learn and to serve their patient and to provide care. I think they see the excitement in that, and they often are exposed, for as much as we talk about, you know, medical students being uh, exposed to role models that maybe aren't the best, so often I see medical students exposed to family physicians who say, yeah, you know, it is tough to practice family medicine right now. It, it is a challenge, and i do it again. You know, and, and that kind of positive role model does pull people through the system. I'm always energized, always energized when I, get to, when I get to talk to medical students who really believe in what they're doing and have that fire. We all wish we could get that fire back in ourselves, right, for something. Exactly. And, and when you see that fire, it's incredibly engaging and invigorating. That said, they are smart people, right? And, and so the way I think we need to capture those medical students who, who really see primary care as an opportunity and are saying, Yeah, I'd love to do this. I'd love to go into family medicine. Show me the path. Show me how to do it. Maybe we have to find a way for a primary care physician to come out of medical school without a mortgage, right? Without a two hundred, two hundred and fifty thousand or more in debt. Maybe we need to show them an opportunity or the potential for the kind of system reform that will allow them to really practice to the fullest extent of their license, to practice, you know, in a team that provides real difference, real change in a patient's life. Maybe we need to show them a system that is value-based rather than, you know, rather than volume-based in the way we Pay for care—that would change so much. It would change so much. So I, I, I think there's a lot of potential solutions, and I think if you, um, you know, you can find them anywhere. If you go out to afp.org, njfp.org, if you're in the healthcare community, you know all these answers okay. anyway. And if and if you're not, and you're interested, go to those websites, take a look, read, get active. You know, uh, talk to folks and and ask the question. You know, are we getting what we pay for? Mm-hmm. You know, are we getting what we pay for? Are we are we providing the right care? at the right cost, at the right time, and getting the best outcomes for the money, right? That's right. Ray's version of the triple aim. It's not the way, you know, Don Berwick might say Yeah, but it. it's
0: insightful. It's, you know? very, it, it's, it's very insightful. What about, you know, the patient-centered medical home? I mean, as more of these come up, obviously primary care is central,
1: Primary care is, of course, central to the patient-centered medical home. The patient-centered medical home is foundational to so many things that we do. We talk about ACOs, and we talk about the need to coordinate care across the continuum of care for patients. At the end of the day, to me, what the patient-centered medical home offers is the ability to build a system that's based on the value that primary care brings that's based on, as opposed to the volume, how many times I can, you know, put my hands on your, or, 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 or leave a scar. And, and that's not to say that that's a bad thing. I have scars. I needed them, right? <laughs> okay. um, but, It's so foundational, and if we're going to change the system, if we're going to change the outcomes that we provide in this country, and I think people are often surprised at the low side of the quality that we sometimes provide in our system, particularly, you know, in chronic disease management. I think the Patient-Centered Medical Home offers a foundation for team-based care that will really help those patients who are most in need, and who are often mm-hmm. the biggest drivers of cost in the system, right? I, I think that's, that's where the sweet spot is. We can call it patient-centered medical home. We can call it, you know, the primary care medical home. We can call it, you know, we can call it whatever you want to call it, but it's that foundation, that center of care mm-hmm. where you and I know that today there is somebody that's going to help me through the system that's right. going to that's going to coordinate my care that's going to make sure i get the right care at the right time you know at the right cost all those things
0: right right tell us uh, tell us about NJAFP what's going on over uh, in your offices and with your uh, members NJAFP
1: is a hotbed of activity We love what we do. Everybody on our team is uh, is incredibly engaged in helping family doctors. You know, my children are older now, but when they were young and they'd say, "Daddy, what do you do?" I say, "You know, are you a doctor?" Well, no, I'm not a doctor. I, I forgot to go to medical school. But every day I help family docs, family physicians, be the best family physician that they can be. Whether that's through our advocacy efforts or whether that's through the work that we do in practice transformation and helping to coach practices along. We've coached probably almost 500 practices in New Jersey and across the country in uh, everything from, you know, becoming patient-centered, medical home-recognized to really transforming and changing the way they deliver care and every stop in between. We're really excited about the work we're doing there. We're excited
0: about the work we've
1: done on the Comprehensive Primary Care Initiative and here in the education that we provide. We provide education to family physicians across the country and I think that's valuable.
0: I think it sounds exciting. I do indeed. So, Ray, let's look out uh, on the horizon a little bit, say five years from now. If we put into action now some, some of the ideas that you mentioned and others have uh, brought to you about making it a more enticing specialty, where do you see us going in about five years?
1: I'd like to be real Pollyanna, right, and say five years from now, if we do all these things, it will be great. We will we'll save money in the system, and, and people will get the care they need at exactly the right time, and... You know, and, and our quality will go through the roof and our cost will go through the floor. And maybe five years from now, we're not there. But maybe five years from now, primary care, family medicine is really an attractive specialty for uh, medical students to consider. Maybe every person who deserves a quality family physician in their life can have one. Maybe that, maybe we're there. As one of my favorite friends in the New Jersey Academy, uh, I'll mention him by name, Dr. Zlotnick used to say in this country, we spend more and more to get less and less so that we can die sooner and sicker, you know? Uh, Maybe that won't be the case.
0: Let's hope not. Let's hope we can look forward. I appreciate all your time today, Ray. Thanks for your insights. Uh, It's been great having you.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
0: You've been listening to Lifelong Learning on ReachMD. I'm your host, Alicia Sutton, and I want to thank our guest, Ray Sapitelli, for joining us today. Thanks so much for listening.